Good morning, everyone. Again, my name is Tim Power. I am uh, one of the associate pastors here. Uh, it is my pleasure to be speaking with you this morning and opening up God's Word as Pastor Terry is traveling. Um, we are finishing up our sermon series, Running on Fumes. Before I get into today's sermon, I want to share a thought with you. Um, so I was um, reading through uh, the book of Luke. Uh, and the book of Luke is one of the Gospels of Jesus. When you hear about the Gospels in the New Testament, they are the stories of Jesus. We have four different Gospels that are part of our canon of Scripture. Now, the Gospel of Luke um, is basically part one. Uh, there is Luke, and then there's the book of Acts, which tells, tells about the early church. But Luke, um, I really enjoy his take on the Jesus story. Uh, one of the very interesting things, stories you find in Luke that you don't find everywhere else is the story of Zechariah. This is right at the beginning. It's before birth of Jesus. Um, it's the story of a priest who goes into uh, church, let's say, the way that, that he would think about it, going into church um, to do his priestly duties, and he is in the Holy of Holies, and uh, he encounters an angel. He encounters an angel, and he is freaked out. Would anybody else be freaked out if you encountered an angel? Here's what struck me about that, um, reading it uh, yesterday, was that he encounters an angel and he freaks out. He is a man of God in the house of God, not only in the house of God, but in the holy of holies. And then when something supernatural happens, it blows his mind. And I think that's me a lot of the time. And I think maybe that's some other people who come. You come to church with certain expectations, but one of those expectations is not always that you're going to encounter something supernatural. One of those expectations is not always that you might encounter somebody, something that's going to change you forever and change your entire world and change how you see everything. And so what I want to do is I want to pray that we would have expectations in our hearts, because I think that was one of the things that was, that was pointed out to Zechariah, is that, that we, we say that we believe these things. We can be people of God in the house of God and not expect for God to do something. But I want to expect for God to do something today. Amen? So let's pray together. Lord God, we come into your house with expectations in our hearts. With an expectation that you're going to challenge us that you're going to call us to something higher, that maybe even you'll call us to something challenging, to something that might be scary, to something that breaks us out of our ordinary, that asks us to step away from the norms of this world and enter into something that is altogether different, altogether more beautiful, altogether more loving than what we've encountered anywhere else. So God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be present with us uh, and that we would be aware of your presence let it transform us. Let us leave this place more like Jesus than when we came in. Pray this in your holy name. Amen. So as you saw from the bulletin, and if you've been around the last couple of weeks, we've been doing this sermon series, Running on Fumes. And when, when I first said the name of that sermon series in the first sermon, the first week, I, nobody said it, but I could feel the amen. I could feel the amen because we live in a busy world. Amen? Amen? Yes. We're in a culture that not only demands busyness, but really celebrates busyness on our parts. 
And what we've been doing over the last couple weeks is we've been talking about the ways in which the kingdom, the kingdom of God, you'll see Jesus talk about this all the time, he talks about the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God has a certain rhythm, and that rhythm is actually a rhythm of rest. Yes, it's a rhythm of work, and we're all called to work, but it's also a rhythm of rest. In the first week, we kind of established a theology of rest, a theology of rest, And one of the big points we took away from that week was that your worth is not decided upon by your production, okay? What you produce. And we live in a world that says you are what you create or you are what you do on a daily basis, but instead we serve a God that says you are a child of God and that in fact your existence is justified by the Savior who loves you. In fact, your existence was justified not by the work you do Monday through Friday, maybe Saturdays, maybe on our cell phones at night, but that you are justified because you are a child of the one true God. The second week, we talked about the story of Mary and Martha, these two sisters that are um, in the life of Jesus, and they host Jesus one time, and uh, it's, it's this situation where Martha is going around the house doing all the work for the evening doing all the cooking, doing all the cleaning. Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. And, she, and, and so Martha gets a little perturbed. Anybody been there? Somebody else isn't pulling their weight. And, and she tells Jesus, tell my sister to help me. But Jesus actually says that Mary chose the better thing and that it won't be taken from her. One of the takeaways we took from that week was that apart from Christ, you may work even when you're resting. But in Christ... You can rest even when you're working. Week three, uh, in here, Terry, Pastor Terry talked about how we as a, community, as a community can create a culture of rest, a community that celebrates rest. And this week, we're going to be talking about a word that probably some of us need to get more familiar with, margin. Now, I made a terrible joke in the last two services. I said, yes, margin, not the kind that you put on your toast. And Sean did not laugh at that joke. But um, Steve Factor came up to me in the 930 service, and he said, right when you said margin, not what you put on your toast, he said, I wanted to shout out, it butter not be. (laughs) It's painful, isn't it? That's the end of the sermon. There, there you go. <laughs> so this word margin, I'm going to give you a definition because we are called to be a people who make part of our rhythm, this kingdom rhythm, creating margin in our lives. Margin is this. It's the amount available beyond what is necessary. The amount available beyond what is necessary I was thinking about margins this morning because when I printed off my sermons, it makes me choose a margin so how many words will fit on a page, right? How much space is to the end of the page? And books have margin. Um, I brought a book here. Uh, This was a book a couple years ago when I took my first class at St. Paul's School of Theology. Um, It's called Bible and Mission, Christian Witness in a Postmodern World. Doesn't it sound like some good beach reading? So... This was one of the first books I bought um, in, in my theological education. And I'll say this, uh, when I bought it, I was really excited about, for it to come. 
And uh, I, I ordered it on Amazon, and uh, I ordered it used, but it said, uh, it said good condition. Then I opened it up, and I don't know if you can see out there, it's, there's tons of writing in it. Now, who gets annoyed when you order something from Amazon and it has tons of writing in it? I was disappointed, and there was all this writing in the margins, and I was like, oh, man, I just, I wanted a clean book. So I start reading it for the class because we've got some assignments that I've got to do before we meet as a class, and it is a dense book. A dense, dense book. It's, a, it's 112 pages, and it is a hard read. Here's what I started noticing, though, as I was reading through it. I started noticing that I would read a page, and it would make no sense to me, but then I would look in the margins, and whoever wrote in the margins wrote the important parts, <laughs> the stuff that made sense. So then I started reading pages, and then I would read the margins. And what I figured out was the important stuff is always in the margins. And I was thinking about that this week, that actually the important stuff in our life is usually in the margins. It's in the margins. This is definitely true at home. Uh, I was at home one evening this week and I was working on this sermon. I was in uh, one room, uh, it's our, we call it our music room, but I use it as a study as well. And uh, I was in there, door closed, I had my Bible out, I was starting to write this sermon and um, I hear some noise at the door. We have three sons and my youngest son kicks open the door and jumps in, he's really into Spider-Man I should say, Jumps in the door in his underoos and a cape. I don't think Spider-Man has a cape. But he said, stop, evildoer. <laughs> and then charged towards me. Now, here was the first thing I thought. I thought, boy, this is an interruption. I thought, I've got some work to get done. Here is the terrible irony. I am writing a sermon about the stuff that counts, the stuff that's in the margins. And I'm getting mad at my son for interrupting me for the stuff that really counts. So I took about five minutes and I wrestled with Spider-Man. And I lost. But that five minutes was the most important five minutes of my day. Maybe my week. The important stuff is always in the margins. You know, that's it's true about church, too. Uh, Pastor Terry taught me this lesson a couple years ago. Um, she was talking about how she doesn't always like to do three sermons in a row, uh, preaching at 8.30, 9.30, and 10.45. She usually might, might do that once a month. But um, I, I said, why not? And she said, because I feel like no ministry gets done on those days. I said, well, what do you mean no ministry gets done? You preached three, thir- three sermons, led three worship services. And she said, no, the ministry happens between the services. The ministry happens in those conversations. Maybe two-minute conversations asking, how's your day going? Maybe when somebody shares something and she gets to pray with them, just, just a couple minutes. It's not the quantity of time. But it's those quality times. The important stuff is happening in the margins. Uh, There's a pastor um, uh, in Houston, Texas, uh, named Rudy Rasmus. 
Uh, he's from St. John's United Methodist Church. Uh, he built a 9,000-member church. Now, out of those 9,000, about 3,000 of those people, when he first started the church, were homeless. They've been brought into the church, and, and the church uh, has, together, they have tremendous outreach programs at this church, and um, so he has done some really amazing work uh, with, with the poor and really the people at, in the margins of, of the culture that he serves, of the, the, the areas that he serves. When, when I've heard him speak at several conferences, and when, when he's asked, what is your spiritual gift? Because people want to know, when you see somebody do something amazing, don't you want to know, what's your gifting? Like, what's your strength finders, right? And he always answers this, he says, you know, my spiritual gift is the gift of hanging out. And he says that he built his ministry all on hanging out. Not, not being the guy with all the answers, being the guy who's hanging out. Sounds a lot like Jesus if you read the New Testament. He was always hanging out with people on the margins. He had the time to do that. Back to this passage that Pastor Sean read for us at the beginning of this. This passage in Hebrews, I'm going to read it one more time. It's very brief. It's just three verses. So you see that a Sabbath rest, and we've been talking about this Sabbath rest for a while now, is left open for God's people. The one who entered God's rest is also rested from his works, just as God rested from his own. Do you remember that from the Old Testament? That was what we read in Genesis, was that God rested from his work after he created all of this. You remember what he said? It is good. And then he rested. Do you think God needs rest? Maybe might have been showing us something, maybe setting a rhythm for us. The last verse of Hebrews is this. Therefore, let's make every effort to enter into that same rest so that no one will fall by following the same example of disobedience. There's, there's something very important about this idea of rest. This idea of creating these spaces for ourselves. In fact, the author of Hebrews, now by the way, the author of Hebrews, we don't know who it is. Um, it's, uh, it's anonymous. We don't know who, who, was, who wrote it. And some people might say, well, then why, why did we include it in the Bible? It's actually a testament to the fact that it is so important such an important book that aligns so closely to the teachings of the early church that even though uh, the name of the author has been lost to history, that the book itself has stayed a part of scriptural canon for this long. So it's, it's a very important book. And one of the things this book speaks to um, is what it means to live out this Christian life. And it was written, as you can tell, to the Hebrews, to the Hebrew believers. So the people who are following Jesus, coming from a Jewish faith. One of the problems that they had in the early church, because they were mostly Jewish believers at first. Um, it wasn't until Paul's missionary journeys that it really expanded beyond the Jewish people. They, they were Jews that also believed in Jesus as their savior. Um, and one of the big struggles of the early church was how Jewish should we be? So some people said, like Peter said, we should be very Jewish. We should do all of the things that we've always done. And Paul would say, no, 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 we don't need to do all that because Jesus fulfilled all of that. And the writer of Hebrews makes this kind of unique, interesting argument. What he says is, listen, we are connected to that story. The story of the Old Testament is connected to the story of Jesus, which is connected to us. And, and this 
is so interesting. He says, so you see, a Sabbath rest is left open. So he's saying, don't get rid of the Sabbath rest. Whatever you leave behind, make sure that this rhythm of life, this rhythm of making margin, making those spaces doesn't leave you. In fact, he gives a very foreboding warning. Let's make every effort to enter that rest. Did you know it takes effort to rest? It's not natural, especially in our culture. Every, entered re- every effort to enter that rest so that no one would fall No one would fall by following the example of disobedience. It's important that we find this rhythm of rest, that we don't conform to the patterns of this world. You know, busyness is one of these patterns that our world has. You can get a degree in busyness. My wife actually went to Maryville and studied busyness. Burnout is a pattern of this world. You know what? But in, in, in this world, we are told work, work, work until you drop and then download an app on your phone that allows you to work from the floor. That's the kind of world that we live in. Maybe once a, once a year, you take a little bit of time off, but make sure that you're con- we can contact you by phone when we need you, right? But rest is the pattern of heaven. Unhurried. Hear that word, unhurried, is the rhythm of the kingdom. And this might be a shocking statement to some of us, but margin is actually a requirement of the gospel. Margin is a requirement of the gospel. In Mark, this is another one of those gospels of Jesus, another telling of the story of Jesus' life. In Mark 6.31, we find Jesus, his ministry is hopping. Things are going well. He's surrounded by all of these people who want healing. They want him to teach. They want him, him to bless them. All of these people are following after Jesus. And he finds himself with his apostles in this busy, busy, busy place where a lot of us find ourselves. And he says this, it says this in Mark 6, 31. Many, of us, many people were coming and going, so there was no time to eat. Who here has been so busy you couldn't eat? Right? It says... He said to the apostles, come by yourselves to a secluded place and rest for a while. I want you to just think about what your life would look like if in the busiest moment you could say, hold on, pause button, stop, and then remove yourself from it. Step back from your busiest moment and say, I'm going to a secluded place. I'm going to a place of rest because this is the rhythm of heaven. Now I know I know what you say. Tim, you work one day a week. You have no idea what it's like. <laughs> what if we don't have margin? What are the consequences? Well, I'm going to give you two consequences of what happens when we live lives that don't have any margin in them. The first one is this. When your margin goes down, when you have no space, when you have no time, your stress goes up. Can I get an amen? Amen right? When you have no margin. Some of you came to church with no margin, and it was hard to worship, wasn't it? You had no margin. You're rushing just to get here. Your stress level goes up. The other thing is this. When your margin goes down, when you've got no space there, your close relationships suffer. I almost didn't wrestle with Spider-Man because I didn't have the margin. You can 
hurt your close relationships when you don't have that space or when you will not create that space. There's a pastor I follow, Andy Stanley. Um, He has a great quote. He says, the value of your life is determined by how much of it you give away. That sounds like Jesus to me. The value of your life is determined by how much of it you give away. Now here is the painful truth. If you have nothing left to give out, can you really do what God is calling you to do? If you have no margin, can you really do what God is calling you to do? I found myself in a situation uh, where I felt like God was calling me to do something. A couple years ago, I was... um, uh, meeting my wife and kids after work, I was going to meet them at a fall festival. I think it was the Green Tree Festival in Kirkwood. And I was going to be meeting them. And my wife had said, stop by the ATM and, and get a little bit of cash so we can do some of the games and, and some of that stuff. And um, I was running behind, but I needed to stop for gas. And I stopped for gas. And I was approached at the gas station by a young guy who was in a real desperate situation. Um, his car had broken down. I saw his car it was sitting there and, and, and he, he was really desperate. He said, he asked me if I could help him either with some money or with a ride. Now I know some of you, if you're anything like me, you sometimes get cynical. You feel like I've heard that story before. And I know I, I've heard that story before too, but at the center of all of those stories is a human being. And we're not called to cynicism. We're called to generosity and, and, and we all have to work out how the Spirit of God tells us how to be generous in certain situations. But I felt like I had an internal leading of God to help this young man. Now, I've never heard the audible voice of God, but sometimes I feel like I get impressions. Anybody else feel that way? Like, like you just feel like God is telling you to do something or maybe not to do something. And, and I like to think that if, if I feel those leanings and it's towards a selfless act, if it's towards helping somebody in need, that I tend to think that that's the Holy Spirit because that's not always my MO. So I tend to think that when it's calling me to something that helps someone else, that I call that the Holy Spirit. So I felt this leaning to help this young man. But here's the thing. The first thing that came into my head was this. Well, you know what? I mean, the only money I've got... I mean, I already, I got this out of the ATM just to go to this festival and it wouldn't be fair to my family if I use this for for something else. And so I didn't have any margin financially to help him. And then my next thought, and this is all happening just in the two seconds after he approached me. Then I thought, you know what? My car is a mess. And believe me, that's perpetually true. My car's a mess. I got no space. My, my, this, this, my passenger seat of my car was filled with junk. I couldn't invite him into that. I couldn't invite. I did not have the margin, the space in my car, the physical space to invite him in. And then, looking at my watch, I was already late for the, for the, the time when we were supposed to meet. I, I don't have the time. And so I said, you know, I said, I'm sorry, I can't help. And as I'm driving away, It occurred to me for the first time in my entire life that maybe keeping a clean front seat is a spiritual discipline. That maybe those things that I just think of as tasks are really spiritual things. That maybe having margin in my day is something that God is actually calling me to. 
that maybe I can't be who God is calling me to be when I'm so hurried, when I'm so rushed. Now, I want you to do this. If, if you have a bulletin, I want you to pull it out. We've done something uh, kind of new to us. The, in the back of your bulletin, you'll see there's a section that says notes. And we have these things called rest stop questions. We've been doing that for uh, this whole month. And what these are, these are kind of reflection questions to help you get a little bit more out of the sermon material. Um, and what I want to do is I want to read some of these to just get us thinking a little bit and get us thinking. And, and as I said, you know, we're here because we do want to hear from God. We want to encounter the spirit of God in a transformative way. So what I'm hoping is this will allow us to open our ears for God to speak to us. So the first rest stop question is this, think of your daily schedule. Where are the empty spaces in your day for life giving break? For example, a moment to breathe, call a friend, pray, Read the Bible. Two is this. How do you determine what gets added to your schedule? And when do you say, or when to say no? Who is a really bad job of saying no to people? Anybody? No? I have, a, I have a problem with this, and I've really, I've gotten better over the years, but this is really just an issue of saying no as a boundary-setting tool for you so that you can make margin to do the thing that you know that God is calling you to. Uh, years ago, when Pastor Ed was the pastor of our modern worship service, he was a great mentor to me, and one of the things uh, that uh, he, I guess I complained to him a lot because... because um, one of the times I was talking to him about something, I said, you know, I'm supposed to be doing this, and this person asked me to do this, and he said, Tim, when's the last time you said no? That was a great question. And he said, I want you to do this. The next 10 times people ask you to do something, I want you to say no to whatever it is. Next 10 times. I didn't take out the trash for two months. <laughs> I'm kidding. His point was well taken, though, is that we, we can set boundaries for us. In fact, uh, there's a pastor, Eugene Peterson, who wrote the message translation of the Bible. He talks about how when we don't set boundaries, we're actually being lazy. We're letting other people set our schedule for us. And our busyness is actually laziness in that case, because we're not actually willing to take the time to say no. Busyness being laziness, what a thought. Now, the third question was this, what is clogging up your margins that you need to remove? What is the garbage on the passenger side of your car that needs to come out so you can do what God has asked you to do? I want to read a passage from the Gospel of Matthew. We're getting through a lot of the Gospels today. The Gospel of Matthew in chapter 11, verse 28, it says this, come to me all, and this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, just to give you some context. Come to me, all you who are struggling hard and carrying heavy loads, and I will give you rest. Put on my yoke and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble, and you will find rest for yourselves. My yoke is easy to bear, and my burden is light. Does a yoke sound easy? Does a yoke sound light? Have you ever seen a yoke? You see these, uh, I've only seen pictures, I've never seen one up close, but these, these big wooden things that you have, one ox with his head in, and another ox with his head in, and they use this to carry heavy things behind them. 
And at first it's confusing, right? Why would Jesus say, my burden, my yoke is easy to bear and my burden is light? But if you think about it, if you were in one of these yokes with somebody who's stronger than you, who's doing most of the, most of the work? I think about this. Whenever you ask, a, if a friend ever asks you to move, I always try to find the strongest guy and I say, buddy system. Because if I'm carrying a couch with this guy who's stronger than me, who's doing most of the work? It's the same thing with the yoke that Jesus is talking about. Is that when we are in a yoke with our Savior Jesus, we have to walk in Jesus' rhythms. And those rhythms of rest that Jesus said is a part of our life will be in lockstep. One time I was, uh, anybody have a two-person bicycle? Anybody ever tried one? Um, I was, I was, I run in the mornings. Can I get some applause for that? <laughs> no, <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you. I mean, that's unnecessary, but. Um, so uh, so I, I was out running and I saw a couple and I'm, I'm coming up on them and they, they have a bicycle made for two. And so it's a, I'm assuming a husband or wife. Um, and I thought, well, that is so cute. That, isn't that like the ro- most romantic thing? It's not. And here's why. Because every time they would try to start, I would hear, like we would, we would be waiting for a light to, to change. And I heard the husband go, no, oh, dang it, Mary. Because... She had started pedaling when he wasn't pedaling. And so it hit the back of his shin every time. And I was like, well, that's not very romantic. It's like a yoke, though. If you're not in rhythm, it doesn't work. And what Jesus is saying is if you will walk in rhythm with the way I've set these things up, if you'll walk in rhythm when I tell you that it's time to rest, to make this margin when you need to make margin in your life, It's going to be easy. It's going to be light because the heavy weight is going to be carried by our Savior. The heavy weight is going to be carried by our Savior, Jesus. So I want you to do this for me. Take a moment and close your eyes. I want you to think about an average day for you. I want you to think about what an average day looks like. And a lot of us probably think, well, I am too busy to make time for some of these things, to make time for prayer. I'm too busy to make time to call a friend. I'm too busy to take five minutes to breathe. But can I suggest that, that this, this is actually altogether a spiritual discipline? To make this margin, to carve these areas out So that the real value of your life, which is measured in how much of it you can give away, so that you have something to give out to a world that is desperate to know the hope of Jesus Christ. We can only be those kinds of people if we make that kind of space. If you would, pray with me. Lord God, I'm asking for your Holy Spirit to speak to us, each and every one, and to show us what this looks like in our lives, in our schedules. Show us what it looks like for us to create these spaces so that we can do what your spirit calls us to do. When you're calling us to be generous to people, Lord, we have that space. When you're calling us to ask our neighbor, how have you been doing? We have that time. 
Lord God, just, pre- just speak to each and every one of us and show us where to make those spaces in our own lives. We pray that we would continue to feel the presence of your spirit, Lord God. Transform us even more into the likeness of Jesus. Pray this in your holy name. Amen.